Everybody, you have a pen? You're going to need it, all right? Now, we post these sermons on Tuesday, but you have to understand, I've been preparing this series of sermons that I'm going to go through this entire year. I've been preparing this for five years. So I'm doing a basically a cliff note version of the whole year of what I've been studying for five years in one, one morning <laughs> to kind of whet your appetite for where we're going. Everybody turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We don't have a lot of time for talk. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. As you're turning there, I want to just mention this, that God is calling us to repent. Literally, repent means to uh, turn around and walk the opposite direction. And what direction are we turning around and returning to? We need to look at the law of first mention, and we know that what God originally intended for us is for us to live in the garden. And for us to live with His glory, rending in our life to us to live without sin, for us that He had a perfect place without sin that had not been affected by sin. And so when we come into a life-saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what you've done. It is literally turning your life around and walking toward, back towards what He originally intended for you. And our life is a journey back to the garden. Okay, It is not a journey to heaven. It's not a journey to heaven, it's back, a journey back to the garden. God wants to return us to his original intention for our lives. Everybody wants to make a difference in the world, but no one wants to do anything different than the world does. It's about as simple as I can say it today. And in our Bible study as a church, as our small groups, we talked about do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be you get the rest of it, but I'm just going to say here today that it's very important that our mind is renewed, that the way we think is renewed. God's goal for our life is that we begin to think differently. There, I want to propose to you today that your thinking has kept you out of the garden, and Jesus did everything to bring you back into the garden, but your thought life is keeping you from getting there. Everything that was provided for you in the garden, you have access to, and you still think you're kept out. And I came here today to proclaim this truth. Your thinking is the only thing that's keeping you out from what he originally intended for your life. Genesis 3, 22 through 24, it's after they had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, notice that when, that when their life changed is when their thinking changed. And they thought like God, they thought differently, they saw things differently, they saw themselves as naked. Their, their, their eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil changed their thought life. That's why God wants to renew your mind. And it says, then God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, because these rascals ate of the tree, and now they know good and evil. And now let's, lest he put his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim. Everybody say cherubim. At the east of the garden of Eden. And a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. 
cherubim, uh, in the original language in Hebrew, means a lot of things in Strong's Dictionary. Um, it is used all through the Bible in different ways, and from Genesis to Exodus all the way through, all the way into Revelations, we see cherubim, and they are a bit of an aberration, a bit of an imagination. They are, they are something that does not necessarily have form unless it is first conjured up in the mind. Even when they uh, put the cherubim on the veil in the temple that separated people from going. You know, we talk about 30-fold. It's outer court, inner court, and holy of holies. But between the, outer, the inner court and the holy of holies, or the 60-fold and the 100-fold, the thing preventing them, us, from getting access to the very presence of God. How many of you are, celebrate that now we have direct access to the presence of God? And guess what was hanging on the veil? Cherubim. Two cherubim. And when they, when, they, when they actually were told to construct it, they, they were not told what this cherubim should look like. They were told how it should be fashioned and what it should be fashioned with, but they were not told what it would be look like. They, he said, use your imagination and put these cherubim with your imagination, these beasts, on the veil. How many of you know when Jesus died, that veil was ripped from top to bottom? From our... Not from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom. See, some of you are trying to affect your walk before you affect your mind, but he doesn't, he, your, your mind is affected before your walk is affected. And I came here today to tell you, some of you don't have access to the hundredfold, but it isn't because there's a cherim put there to keep you out. It's because your mind is still messed up. We have access. Again. Okay. Some of us need to change the way we think. The garden was what we lost, and the key to getting the garden back is understanding that the only thing that is between us and the hundredfold is one thing. It's the cherubim. It's our image. It's the way we think. One thing. Not sin. Not what you've done. Not all the horrible acts and deeds of your life. It's your imagination. That's why we should cast it down. And not let it build up strongholds against our lives. Those walls, impenetrable walls that keep us out from the access that God intended when Jesus died on the cross. Are you with me today still? Sin is not what you do. Sin is, is, is coming short of the glory of God. Sin is any time you are not worth, you feel you are not worth something. Let me tell you something. You hear this truth and you walk out of here saying, these people are a bunch of heretics. We're not like God. How can we possibly be like God? What makes us think that we could live on that level? Thinking that kind of thought, you descend. Because his intention is to make you like him. You just, you just spat in the face of all that Jesus Christ came to accomplish for you. He wanted you to be like him in every way. And because of his death on the cross, he made you like him. And it is, it is, a, it is an insult against the cross of Christ to say that we cannot be like him. 
That's good. I like it. God is calling us to something more. It is not a humbling thing to say that you're not as like God. You're not as good as God. He made you good like Him. He made you righteous like Him. Humility, a false humility, has, for the sake of... Listen, just the fact that you think you have to be humble lets me know that you're trying to do it on your own strength. I'm not even to my fourth line. I got seven pages. God said, don't let any man call unclean. This is a scripture. Don't let any man call unclean what I call clean. Peter said this. Peter said this. I won't go down to Cornelius' house. Brooke loves his story. But Peter didn't want to go down there. I don't want to go down to his house. He's a pervert, pimp, and he's a sinner. I don't want to go down there. That's not, that's paraphrased, it's paraphrased. But he did not want to go down there. He said, I'm not going to go down there. This man's not even converted. And God said, how dare you call unclean what I've already called clean. And he wasn't even saved yet. See, some of you, uh, you, want to, you, want to, you want to determine whether somebody's worthy enough, whether somebody's good enough, whether somebody's clean enough, and, and you determine that based on whether they come in the church and they've given life to Christ. God calls unclean things clean. Okay, he calls unclean things clean. So, so it doesn't matter how good you think somebody is or how holy you think somebody is or how long they've been in the church. See, God determines who's clean, not you. Oh my goodness. And God said, I need you to renew your mind. So what happens? Peter says, I'm not going down there. He's not even converted. And God said, how dare you call what's unclean, clean. Clean, unclean. but you get it. You say, you say well, Sean, you don't, you don't know what's going on in my life. God says, you're clean. You say, well, you don't know what I've done. God says, you're clean. Well, you don't I really know. I don't really have... A very good prayer life. That's all right. The Holy Spirit prays for you, through you, and in you. <laughs> you ain't going to hear many sermons like this, so soak it in, baby. Soak it in. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is doing a work that you can never do in your own strength. See, that's the beauty of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Action, people, is a secondary result of a false image that says you're not worthy of the glory of God. So you got people in churches, the moment you join the church, that try to get you to stop doing this and stop doing this and that. You just stop telling people, listen, you need to stop telling people what to stop doing. Because none of those things are the problem. The issue is not what they do. Their, their issue is their perception of who they are. <laughs> See, we're trying to change the actions of the man before we change the spirit of the man. But if you change the spirit of the man, you change the actions of the man. And some of us need to begin to understand it is the spirit that changes the heart and life of an individual. None of those things are the problem. The things that we focus on and lean into are not the problem. The problem is they don't know they're the image of God. And if they could know it, learn it, or hear it, I guarantee you everything else would change. You wouldn't have to talk to them about it. 
But what we've done is we've changed how people live without changing the spirit of a man. If you change the spirit of a man, everything else falls in line. Exodus 26, 31 says, you shall, not, you shall make a veil woven of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine woven linen. It shall be woven with an artistic design of cherubim. This is the veil that is hung between the inner court and the holies of holies, and the thing that keeps you in the 60-fold realm, even as a believer in Christ, even after you've been covered by the blood in the outer court, even after you've been delivered and saved and redeemed, it hinders you from moving into the 100-foot, is this veil with the cherubim on it. The cherubim is still keeping people out today. Some of you uh, read Genesis and you say, I wonder where this garden is and why can't we see the cherubim now? Because it's right here. It's your thought life. It's your thinking. And God has given you access into the thing that once he kept you out of because he didn't want to lock you into it. You knew something, but he didn't want to lock you into sin and he didn't want to allow you to eat of the tree of life. So he locked you out. But Jesus came to redeem you out of the sin that you may get access again. And some of us need to understand God's longs for us to return to that thing that we still think we're out of. The only thing keeping us out is our imagination. It is our thought life. It's keeping you out of the Holy of Holies. Jesus died and ripped the veil that we might have access into the holiest of holies, into his presence, walk with him and talk with him just like Adam used to do. But we still live a separated life because our thinking is jacked up from the floor up. So that every time a high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he had to look at the cherubim and it would remind him that the only thing that hinders the people of Israel from becoming a nation of kings and priests and coming into their fullness is their imagination. It is their image. It is their mindset is perverted and has been perverted because of what Adam and Eve did. The carnal mind, the Bible says, is a veil. Wake up, people! That's why when the veil was ripped from top to bottom, it was ripped from the top to the bottom. It wasn't the veil he was doing away with. It was perverted thinking that he was doing away with. The Bible says that this cherubim that guarded the garden, God gave him a flaming sword. We know that the sword is the word of God. It is a flaming sword. The Hebrew word is lahat. Lahat means enchanted. Track with me here. The cherubim, the same thing that gets us access, our imagination, the way we think, keeps us out. Come on now. This is very important. And he said, and then the cherubim held a flaming sword. I want you to know today that this same sword... The same sword that gets you access is keeping people out today. Because there are preachers of the gospel that are cutting off the ears of the people and their ears are falling into the flesh realm and we are preventing people. The same thing that gets you in keeps you out. 
There are some people that get access through this in the spiritual realm, and there are some people that get more confused when they read this because they read this from a flesh mindset and not a spiritual one, but these are mysteries hidden where people who do not function and think according to the spiritual will not get access to the treasures that are in here. Come on now. Okay, Lord, help me. Enchantment. Some people read this and are enchanted. I'm going to get something special. It's going to be this for my life. We are enchanted with a gospel that makes the whole thing of what Jesus did about us. It isn't about us. It's all about him. We become enchanted in the same thing that gets us access has enchanted a, a, a generation of people. And we have, we have been lulled into a slumber and we no longer see him for who he is. And the same thing that gets us access can enchant us and prevent us from really seeing who he is. This book can get you in, but this book can keep you out. This book can be used for truth, but the same book can be used for enchantment. Enchantment is the same word that's literally used for fairy tale. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> the same book that gives you truth is the same book that will take your life. The same book that can be used as a scalpel to take out cancer can in another hand be used by a mugger to end your life. So much so that the same book has kept us out of the garden because this same book has us believing because preachers don't preach it right that our goal is heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, your goal is not heaven. Well, I just want to live good enough so I can get to heaven where there's pearly gates and the streets of gold. That's my goal. I'm not trying to get to heaven People, heaven is trying to get to me. <laughs> Thy kingdom come here. We're not effective to bring his kingdom here because we're trying to get there. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Paul says we are seated with him in heavenly places right now. Heaven isn't my goal. I already got it. Why are we trying to get what we got? Why are we not trying to bring what we got into a world that does not have it? It's because we've been enchanted. It's because we've looked at this word with carnal eyes and a carnal mind and we need to have our mind renewed. Well, Sean, the Bible says we're going to go to heaven and there's going to be streets of gold and pearly gates and I just can't wait. I've been talking to people my whole life about standing at the pearly gates. <laughs> there's not one verse in the entire Bible that says you're going to walk on streets of gold. There's not one verse that heaven has streets of gold or pearly gates. Revelation 21 says, 
And I, John, saw the new Jerusalem prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband coming out of heaven. People, heaven doesn't come out of heaven. And the city had 12 gates, all of which were one pearl. having 12 foundations, and in the city was a throne, and from the throne proceeded a river. (laughs) And on both sides of the throne there was a tree of life with 12 manna fruit. People, it's symbolic. It doesn't make sense in the natural realm. Some of you are like, well, you'll see, you'll see. When you go to heaven, you'll see, Sean. You'll, you'll understand there will be pearly gates and, and golden streets. No, you're wrong. The city in this is not a city. The city is a bride, and the bride is the church. Psalms 46 says, there is a river in the city, whereof the city is made glad. <laughs> that messed up. Can you imagine a city just poof? Popping in the downtown Santa City and everybody's like, yay! No, it would cause chaos. See, because it's not talking about a real city. It's not talking about a real river. It's talking about a church where the, it says that inside of us, when we become believers, it rises up and springs up like a river flowing out of our lives. It is a river busting out of our lives. The river ain't a river because the city ain't a city and the city is a people. And the river is the Spirit. He that believeth in me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So the river that proceeds out of the throne is a river of living water that proceeds out of the body of Christ, which the city is the church. Come on, I'm trying to help you here. Because he said, you are a city set on a hill. So a city is not a city. The city is a people set on the hill so the whole world can see the glorious Israel. Well, what about all the Jews, Sean? Isaiah 61 says, God shall prepare Israel and God shall adorn Israel even as a husband adorns his wife with precious ornaments and precious jewels. It was a Middle Eastern tradition when a bride is about to be married, they would pin precious metals of jewels on her. And the more jewels that were pinned on her, that meant the more wealthy her husband is. As a matter of fact, when Abraham was trying to find a wife for his son Isaac, the Bible says he sent out a servant to find a wife. And the servant went and found a wife. He said, I'm the servant of Abraham and I've come to find a wife for Abraham's Son. Now Abraham had given him a dowry. And so he begins to pull out jewels and he begins to pin them on her, on her dress. And all of a sudden she is becoming weighted down with gold and diamonds and jewelry and pearls and rubies and sapphires. And she goes home to her mama and says, Mother, look at all these jewels. My husband is going to be rich. That's why it says, do not, do not be in dismay about these temporary and light afflictions, where there comes a heavier weight of glory. Oh my gosh. 
So likewise, even as Abraham the father for Isaac the son sent his servant out, so the heavenly father sent the servant the spirit out to find a bride for his son and his name is Jesus And when he found a bride, he began to adorn her with precious fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are the the assets of the spiritual life. So he adorns you with holiness. He beautifies you with his presence, and he fills you with the wealth of heaven. And so the city that is made of carbuncle and diamonds and gold and rubies and sapphires, it ain't a city, it's you, glorified as the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit found the bride For Jesus and it's you. And you're wealthy beyond measure because of it. So the sword can enchant you and sometimes we preach to make you feel better. But it keeps you from the garden. Because if you feel good where you are, you won't repent and walk towards where he originally wanted you. And some of us need to begin preaching a message that makes people uncomfortable with their current situation so we will repent and turn back to where we were. I'm sick and tired of messages that make people happy where they're at. It's not our goal. Our goal is not to be happy where we're at. Our goal is to be longing for where we came from and to walk that direction. Our goal is not to be hungry for the temporal, but to be hungry for the things of God. And let me tell you, there's more for you than where you are. We've been enchanted. And the same thing that God made to get us in is keeping us out. We preach, well, there's coming this battle. And God's raising you up to be a glorious army. You're stronger than the armies of hell. You have more power than the armies of hell. And then when it comes to time to fight the battle, poof, we're going to get raptured out. Well, that's a wasted sermon, huh? We've missed God. We've become enchanted. The same book can keep you in or bring you out. Your imagination. Will you let people fill your imagination with fairy tales? People, the letter kills. The spirit takes it and makes it alive. You cannot read this without a changed and renewed mind. How long will you be enchanted? When will you begin to demand, we don't want to go to heaven. We want to go back to Eden. He says he placed cherubim in the east to keep the way. The word keep in the Hebrew is shamar. Write that down. Which means to hedge about with thorns. (laughs) Your imagination keeps you out. The word gets you in. Your imagination gets you in or keeps you out. The word gets you in or keeps you out. The hedge keeps you out. Gets you in or keeps you out. Track with me now. A hedge of thorns. The way you keep them out is to hedge about with thorns. They made, you, they made the Lamb of God a crown of thorns and they put it where? Hedged about on the mind of Christ. He wore those thorns so that the hedge that keeps us out of the garden would be removed so we could get back in. 
The thing that keeps us out is the ability to see that we have the right to go back in through Jesus Christ. That's why God told Adam, as long as you till the earth, the earth will produce thorns. See, the flesh realm will produce thorns. If you're tired of living a thorny life, stop living according and be conformed by this world and be conformed by the Spirit of God and have your mind be renewed because you're living in misery when He's called you back to the garden. When Abraham was about to kill his son Isaac, he found a ram whose head was caught in the thorns. So that Jesus, who was a sacrificial lamb, the same lamb that took the place for Isaac, came and had his head in a thicket of thorns so that the carnal mind might be destroyed. Through carnal mindedness we eat death, but being spiritually minded we are partakers of life and peace. So then what is the Garden of Eden? It's where the tree of life is. Spiritual minded. What's keeping you out of the garden? Your inability to become spiritually minded. You are conformed by what you give yourself to. Let's pause here for a second. Everybody pull your phone out. Pull it out. How many of you have iPhones in here today? I want you to go to settings. I want you to scroll down to battery. Click it. You see it? I want you to click on the tab that says last 10 days. And I want you to look at the hours on there. Who's brave enough to say the hours up in here? Come on. I'll give you an Oreo. What you got? Now, you know that's a day. That's average a day. What was yours? Who said something? Five hours, two hours, 19 minutes. What you got? Woo, she's winning. She's winning. 6.54. Anybody else? What you got? 7.45. Good job. You're winning now. Now listen, listen to me today. Listen, this is going to seem judgmental. Mine was two and a half, well actually two hours and 45 minutes. And God said, you're conformed by what you give yourself to. How can you become spiritually minded if you're earthly controlled? Oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to smoke less pot then. I'm going to smoke less pot. Well, when you go to rehab, they don't let you smoke less pot. You get off the pot. Wrong pot. You guys thought wrong pot. That's not the pot I'm talking about. <laughs> I realized that 98% of mine was social media. It breaks it down for you in case you want to look. I didn't kill my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Some of you, listen, we have it for the church. My wife still has it. It's okay. But, but something, listen, I can't do it no more. I'm not calling the church to, to kill Facebook. 
listen, listen to me, Dave. This is, you're like, oh, dear God, I'm not coming back to this church. This is ridiculous. These, these people, antiquated old farts. I'm not coming there. Now the pastor's done. He's, what, is he not going to wear rings and not going to watch TV now? Oh, no, I'm going to watch TV. Trust the brother, right? I like TV. Love myself some movies. But, but I got to give up something because I'm getting conformed by everything. And you have to understand, that's just your phone. That ain't your computer and your TV. I, here's the thing. I've, I've given it up not because I'm going on sabbatical. I've given it up because I want more of God. Come on now. I, I started the first night I gave it up. I, I went and sat down on my couch right after we had small group. And I sat, I didn't, look, I didn't even tell, I didn't even talk about the small, small group. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do it. I'm just doing it now in front of God and everyone, you know. So, but I, I, want, I want to encourage you to consider, you know, you could say, well, I'm not conformed by the world. I'm not going to be conformed by the world. <laughs> Evaluate it. Because you're conformed by what you give yourself to. Some of you, how many of you, I, I bet you this, don't raise your hand. Do, please, do not participate. There are many of you who are reading those out and who are looking at those today that said, I don't have time to read the Bible. Yes, you do. I don't have time to spend with my kids. Yes, you do. I believe my IQ is going to go up so far after a year. Like, I want to do an IQ test now and then not doing that every day. And I mean, because I just, I'm like, what do I do with my, what do I do with these? I don't know. 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 I mean, other day I sat down, I sat down on the, it was after small group, and I, and I did this. I went up, over, and I clicked, and Spotify opened up. But I, because I clicked where Facebook used to be. And I didn't even know what I was doing. And I went, oh! <laughs> Muscle memory. And I had been telling my wife and the staff, I hardly look at Facebook, you bunch of heathens. You're looking at your Facebook all the time and so enthralled by it. I have done it probably a hundred times since I quit three days ago (laughs) without even thinking. And that's the point. He wants you to not think. The enemy wants you to not think. And God wants to renew the way you think. Some of us have, have are functioning in subconscious ways because we have been lulled into a slumber and we are getting to destinations we didn't even know how we got there. And God is saying, wake up, O slumberer, from your sleep. Anybody can shout me down and say, yay, that's great, that's good preaching, Sean. But it takes a certain kind of person to put up some boundaries in your life. You know how we have rivers. Everybody wants to shout about the rivers of living water that flow out of us, but they become marsh, even if it's the Spirit, if we do not have boundaries for it to flow in. And your life needs to begin to prepare boundaries so that that which is in you can get to where God wants it to be once it comes out of you. Some of you are anointed but marshy. Because you have no boundaries in your life to get what's in you once it flows out of you to the right place in the world around you. I'm trying real hard. Okay. Okay. Where am I at? When we look at Exodus 26, we see the cherubim. And those cherubim remind me that what is keeping you out is your imagination. And what's going to get you in when you realize that you need your mind removed. That your imagination is based on, track, track me, don't, don't check out. That your imagination is based on your image. Literally, the root word for imagination is image. 
The problem with my imagination is my poor self-image. But you don't cure self-image by going, wake up in the morning going, I'm beautiful, you're great, you're a winner, you're going to be awesome, it's wonderful, oh, you're sexy, even when you ain't. It don't help it, it don't help your self-image. I'm so beautiful, I'm so, if I say it enough, then I'll actually believe it. <laughs> no, no, that's not how you change You get your self-image restored by thinking you are one with Him. It's not beauty I want, it's Him I want. I'll show it to you, watch. Here comes Jacob. Jacob wants to get his birthright. The only way he can get his birthright is to steal it from his elder brother. That's right, I said steal it. Now he wants what rightfully belongs to Esau. doesn't even rightfully belong to him. See, some of you don't get what you want when you're praying because you don't know how to trick God. That offended some of you. That's right, you're ultra spiritual. You're God's first cousin and just get over it. But the reality is he has set up a pattern by which we can trick him and get access to what we cannot get access to, what is not rightfully ours, but is rightfully our elder brother. See, some of you don't get what you want because you don't trick the father. So Jacob goes to his mother. His mother says, your brother's hairy. (laughs) You hadn't even hit puberty yet. I threw that in there for your edification's sake. Put on some animal skin, then go get a bowl of meat. Don't bring him beans. Your brother will give up his birthright for beans, but your father wants meat. I I, I don't have time. Don't bring him beans. Bring him meat. Go take a bowl of meat and put on the image of Esau. Crap track with me. Don't go in the name of Esau. Put on the image of Esau. Don't go in the name of Esau. Put on the image of Esau. Don't go in the name of Jesus. Put on Jesus. Some of you think Jesus is an incantation of a name that you say to make devils flee and to make problems dissipate. But I came here today to say you can say Jesus till you're blue in the face and nothing will move until you get in that thing that has what you've been longing for. you got to put on Jesus. That's why it says put on Jesus. I didn't make that up. So he put on his elder brother. Listen. Jesus is our elder brother. Why did Jacob get what belonged to his elder brother? Because he put on his elder brother. You need to put on your elder brother. And the reason our prayers aren't answered is because we come in the name of Sean or Brooke or Tim. You need to put on Jesus and come in Jesus. Exodus 37, 6 through 9 says this. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits. Don't check out on me. What, what, two and a half cubits was its length, and a cubit and a half was its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold, one, one piece, one piece covered in gold. He made them of one piece at two ends of the mercy seat, one cherubim at one end of, uh, on this side and the other cherubim at the other end on that side. He made the cherubim at two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They're faced one another. Everybody say faced Faced. one another. The faces of the cherubim were towards the mercy seat. See, gold speaks of divinity. These cherubim were in the holiest of holies. The same cherubim that that keeps you out gets you in. When your mind changes from enchantment to the fullness... 
There will be two cherubim made out of the same piece of gold. Two cherubim, one piece. One piece of gold, two cherubim, face to face. One piece of gold, two cherubim, face to face. One piece of gold, two cherubim. He that is joined, it says in the Bible, to the Lord is one spirit. He that is separated now becomes joined and is face to face. So that we see him face to face. And when we see him face to face, we'll be like him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Now we beholding in the glass darkly, then we shall see him face to face. It says, now I'm looking into the glass darkly. Glass in the Greek is mirror. Now I'm looking in a mirror and it's cloudy. But then I'm going to see him face to face. I'm looking in a mirror, but I see him face to face. I'm looking in a mirror, but I see him face to face. People, usually when we look in a mirror, we see us. But one day... I'm going to look in a mirror, and I'm not going to see me no more. Because it ain't going to be me. I'm going to put on my elder brother, and I'm going to become him. I'm going to look like him. I'm going to walk like him. I'm going to talk like him. And I will see him face to face. I'll look in a mirror thinking I'm going to see me, but... Realize I put on my older brother and I see him face to face. Philippians 2 says, let this mind be in you. Hello, cherubim. Let this mind, hello, golden cherubim, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Listen, you must take on the divine nature to serve on that level, to live on that level, to think on that level, to parent on that level, to husbandry on that level, <laughs> to wifery on that level. I'm Shakespeare, I make up my own words, I do what I want. What was happening is we have had men try to serve on that level without first putting on Christ. It takes the divine nature to live like Christ. Hear me, church. You can't steal God's glory. People say, oh, you got to be careful, Sean. you got to be careful. You don't want to steal glory from God. <laughs> Where would you put it? That he is not already there. What cattle on the hill would you hide it behind that he did not already own? It is all his. It is all his. If you were to come to my house and steal my couch and put it in my bedroom, you didn't steal it. You just moved it for a season. You can't steal glory from God. See, some of you need to have your minds renewed. You need to understand that he's so much more than what you have ever thought. 
And you give yourself too much credit because the image that you have of yourself is that you have the power to destroy God and the things of God. And I came here today to tell you, no matter what you do, no matter how you live, no matter the choices you make, you cannot undermine the divine plan of God. You, so you might as well just come into His image and put on His nature and function according to what He wants because He's going to get what He wants in the end anyway. He's God all by himself. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Ephesians 5, I'm almost done. 25 through 26 says, husbands, love your wives. See, now you can read this and you can be enchanted. This, 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 this scripture is read in every single marriage. But this is not about marriage in the temple. Husbands, love your wives. See, some of you have been enchanted because you have a carnal mind and you don't read the word with a spiritual mind. Come on now. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ has loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Here's another enchantment. Jesus is coming for a church without spot or wrinkles. That's baloney. You don't make yourself holy. He does. He's not coming for a holy church. He's coming for a messed up church. It's Him that makes us holy. He comes when we have spot or wrinkle. He came when we had spot or wrinkle. He's not coming for a church without it. He's coming for a church and He's going to make it what it needs to be. Come on! Ephesians 5, 28 through 32 says this, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever ate, hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his body, of his body, his flesh, of his bones, flesh of his flesh and bones of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. Now Paul summarizes what he's saying. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Not Sean and Brooke. Come on. Not Tim and Melissa. Come on. Christ and the church. So every time we get married, somebody reads this. Paul didn't write that. God said it actually in the book of Genesis to Adam. Paul is quoting God, speaking about Adam, speaking to Adam. Not about Adam, but to Adam. And Adam doesn't have a father or a mother. God wasn't speaking about Adam. God wasn't speaking about marriages. Paul said God was speaking about the church. So here is Jesus on the cross. God has sent out the Spirit to find Himself a bride. And He adored her with precious jewels and diamonds and sapphires and said, this is my bride. This is my church. This is my people. And Jesus... <laughs> became your groom. He left the Father. 
As he was on the cross, we know that Jesus left the Father and he looked down to Mary and he said, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. He left his father and his mother so he could marry his church legally. Yes, church, God says he will never share his glory with another, but we are not another. We are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bones. The Bible says, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no other. But the good news is I'm not beside him. In him, it says in the Bible, I live and move and find my being. We have become one with Him. We have become flesh of His flesh and bone of His bones. I say this in closing. When Jesus was dying on the cross between two thieves, one thief said, If you're the Son of God, take yourself off this tree. And the other said, Leave Him alone. He doesn't even deserve to be here. He's innocent, but we are thieves. (laughs) Let me tell you who these two thieves are on the cross. The thief who said, take yourself off the cross, is the same thief who said, turn these stones into bread. When Christ was crucified, he also was crucified. He also crucified the works of Satan. The one who comes to steal kill and destroy. That's one of the thieves. The other thief was Adam who in the very beginning stole fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Jesus looked to him and said, and I believe it reverberates across generations into this room today. I kicked you out of the garden because you stole of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But today... You will be with me in paradise. The same thing that gets, keeps you out gets you in. But you got to cast down those carnal imaginations. And you got to have your mind renewed. And some of you need to stop right in your tracks and repent and turn around. And begin to journey back to the garden that God originally intended for your life. But to do this, to change, to walk away, to go to what he intended, there's some things in your life you have to leave in the dust. Don't just come here on Sunday and get, get, get excited and get preached up and, 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 and worship and, and see your neighbor and, and, just, and just be overwhelmed by his presence, baby. It is no good to come in this house and not be transformed by the word. Not let it renew your mind and be changed into the image that he originally intended for your life.